Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I mean, it's the basic basis of that. I think people hear the word chemical and they think it's a bad thing or a contaminant, but really, you know, all elements, macronutrients, that's all chemistry. Those are all chemicals. So we need to look at how our body deals with those, how our body metabolizes those nutrients. And then inevitably, you know, the results are the the end product of that metabolism. So are we, are we trying to lose weight? Are we trying to cut weight? Are we trying to put on mass? Are we trying, you know, and the end goal informs the process, but the base, what we're talking about baseline level is how our body deals with those chemicals, those elements, those nutrients. So understanding, having a baseline idea of the chemistry in nutrition, the biochemistry in the body, how all of that interacts with physiology is really important. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice in the beginning is the guest for this episode, the Chief Product Officer for Northern Nutrition, Dr. Shannon O'Grady. I asked Dr. O'Grady to join me because when Northern Nutrition became a sponsor of the podcast, yes, I want to promote their supplements and yes, I want to help help them sell more supplements. Obviously, that's you do a podcast, you provide content, you get sponsors to support the content. That's yes, we know the business model. But anytime I work with a supplement company, I want to understand more about them. So when I asked to speak to their chief product officer, their researcher, they were more than happy to put me in touch with Dr. O'Grady. On this episode, I speak with Dr. O'Grady about supplements in general. Why should we take supplements? What role should supplements play in our nutrition? Why should we have balanced nutrition? How does nutrition support our exercise? And we hear the results. We hear the answers from a PhD, somebody whose career is studying nutrition. Nutrition is such a, wow, you can go so many different directions with nutrition that anytime, anytime I talk about nutrition on the podcast, I only go after it, I only interview a qualified expert. They have to have a master's degree, an RDN, which is a registered dietitian nutritionist, that's a professional credential, it's a professional license, they have to be an MD or they have to be a PhD. 
So master's degree, RDN, PhD, or MD are the only people I speak to about nutrition here on the podcast. Maybe every now and then a chiropractor, but the chiropractor who's really worked with a team of RDNs who's developed the right program. So on this episode, what you're going to hear about is the role that supplements should play in our training, why supplements are important. Yes, we need a balanced diet, but if we need more protein, if we need more amino acids to support, to support muscle growth, especially as we age, supplements like those from Northern Nutrition play an important role. Now keep in mind, nutrition is only one half the equation. You need to know the right type of workouts that to produce the results that you want. That's why I write my books. I have Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I have Ageless Intensity. Both those books will teach you how to design exercise programs. Smarter Workouts will teach you how to exercise to enhance your quality of life. Ageless Intensity will teach you how to design workout programs that, according to the science, could slow down the effects of aging. I have other ebooks available. I have Dynamic Anatomy. I have Functional Core Training. All that content is available down below in the show notes. Not that expensive. That's all I ask for you to support the podcast. Pick up a book or an ebook. You're going to learn a heck of a lot about exercise, and you're going to learn a lot about exercise and fitness here on the podcast. On this episode, it's Dr. Shannon O'Grady, the Chief Product Officer from Nodding Nutrition, talking about the role that supplements should play in your training program. I'm Pete McCall, all about fitness, and today we are speaking with Shannon O'Grady from Northern Nutrition. How are you doing today, Shannon? I'm doing great. How are you, Pete? I am all right. Now, the question I didn't ask, and I apologize about this, you have a PhD. Do you ever is it better if I could reference you as doc or do you prefer Shannon? Or how do you how do you prefer to be referenced? Please call me Shannon. Yeah. Whenever someone says doctor, I'm I'm looking behind me for someone in a white coat. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. Any, anytime someone says, sir, I mean, I, I, I have gray hair and I appreciate that, but I'm like looking around for somebody to salute because it shouldn't be me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, so what is it? Uh, the one of the questions I always like to ask, and, and before I hit record, and this is for listeners as well, I never invite somebody to talk about nutrition on the program unless they have a master's degree, they're an RDN, which is a registered dietitian nutritionist, or if they have a PhD. So why is it so important that we look for that type of credential when discussing nutrition? Sure. I mean, I think you can look at it as uh, the length of time and the degree to which the subjects actually studied. Um, I think a lot of the programs out there right now that are allowing people to study to train as a nutritionist um, in in you know three to six months can be good programs, but um, the length of time devoted informs about the depth of knowledge and and I think going to an RDN who who um, you know has to pass a board for that certification um, or going to a PhD who spent you know, five to six years or master's of, of science student that spent, you know, two to, to three years, that really tells you, you know, the amount of which, you know, they know about nutrition and are able to speak on the subject. And how often do you roll your eyes? I'm sure, I'm sure you do not go to the social medias, the socials to get your nutrition advice, but how often do you roll your eyes when you see certain nutrition information tidbits posted on various social channels? Yeah, I mean, I think I roll my eyes a lot when it has to do with fad diets in general. And that's when I'm seeing particularly offensive uh, nutrition. I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now, advice <laughs> come out. Um, a lot of nutritionists, I think, out there 
if they've taken some schooling or some class and it's and it's an accredited program or at least coming from the right place it's when fad diets are involved where you hear kind of outlandish recommendations and and those definitely get an eye roll for me yeah that's really i i do the same thing i mean there are certain diets that that i think work and i want to come back to that because the fad diets really kind of I do go by the wayside now to go into a little bit in depth i was really impressed Shannon. your undergrad degree what did you study for undergrad your undergrad degrees um, I, I am biology and chemistry. And why is chemistry so important? If we understand, want to understand nutrition and, and, and where I'm going with this is, is usually when I talk about bodybuilding, I usually talk about bodybuilding is it that you're, it's a chemistry competition, right? If you look at bodybuilding, that's mainly a chemistry competition. And I'm not just talking about any type of anabolic androgens that people might use, but it really is. If you look at somebody trying to add a lot of muscle it comes down to the biochemistry of how different nutrients interact with our system. Why is chemistry so important for understanding nutrition? Yeah, I mean, it's the basic basis of that. I think people hear the word chemical and they think it's a bad thing or a contaminant, but really, you know, all elements, macronutrients, that's all chemistry. Those are all chemicals. So we need to look at how our body deals with those, how our body metabolizes those nutrients, and then inevitably, you know, the results are the, the end product of that metabolism. So are we, are we trying to lose weight? Are we trying to cut weight? Are we trying to put on mass? Are we trying, you know, and the end goal informs the process, but the base, what we're talking about baseline level is how our body deals with those chemicals, those elements, those nutrients. So understanding, having a baseline idea of the chemistry in nutrition, the biochemistry in the body, how all of that interacts with physiology is really important. Well, and that's the one thing that I realized many years into my career in fitness is, you know, first five to seven years, everything you study is dealing with the muscles, with the nervous system, because that's what activates the muscles. But the longer I've done this and, and the more in depth I've gone, I really, it's the chemicals in our body, the endocrine system that really drive adaptations, correct? And, and how does nutrition influence the endocrine system and the hormones? And, and by chemicals, I mean hormones. So the, the endocrine system produces hormones that regulate cellular functions in our body. How does nutrition impact the production of those hormones? I mean, that's a huge <laughs> open-ended question, right? Like, it's hard to answer. It depends. Like, what hormones are you talking about? What nutrients are you talking about? Are we in a, uh, you know, caloric deficit? Or are we in a caloric surplus? Like, it, it really depends specifically about what you're talking about. But the point is, they have a direct impact. It could be positive. It could be negative. There are, you know, certain states that can increase hormone production, certain states that can decrease hormone production. It, it, it depends on the specific question, but it's something hugely important to pay attention to that interaction. And, and, but that, I love that answer. I love those two words that depends. And I say this almost every time I have a PhD on here, Shannon, that anytime that somebody gives you a definitive answer in the fitness industry, ignore them. Because if they give you a definitive, no, but I mean, if they give you a definitive answer, like you have to do this, then they're, they don't know. Whereas you talk to somebody, the more education somebody has, they're like, well, we're, we're not a hundred percent and certain because when it comes down to nutrition, what's the most challenging variable as somebody who studies nutrition, what's the most challenging variable when it comes to nutrition? The individual, <laughs> right? It, it depends, it, it depends on the situation we're talking about. It also depends on the person and, you know, where, how their lifestyle or physiology or genetics interact with that situation. So 
trying to lose weight or trying to gain mass for person A can be a vastly different situation from person B, depending on their age, depending on their lifestyle, depending on, you know, their genetics. So it's really something it's it's hard to give. I mean, you can definitely give like baseline nutrition, uh, nutritional recommendations to someone that would be good for the majority of people, but there are always going to be exceptions. And that's when really getting to know someone, getting to know what they've tried in the past, getting to know what their cravings are, what foods they like, what foods they don't like is important in order to helping them get to their goal. But more importantly, making sustainable changes that are going to last um, and changes that are really going to have an effect um, on their physiology and and um, how they perform and feel um, collectively. Well, that's so the thing is, the reason why I asked that question in, in- this is something that I read about maybe a week ago, 10 days ago. And I have to say, it's been, it's been one of those things because every now and then you read something, you're like, it becomes stuck in your brain. So what I read, and, and the, it was from the book Peak Performance, and I forget the author's name, but he, he'll probably be a future guest once I get finished with the book. But the book is Peak Performance. And what the author was talking about, Shannon, was that you and I share about 90, 99.5% of our DNA. You take any human on the planet, any two humans on the planet, we share about 99.5% of our DNA, but only 10% of our gut biome is similar, meaning that individually from person to person, our gut biome is very, very different in terms of how we digest and how we process it. Is this an area of study that you've, you've kind of, because we didn't, before 10 or 15 years ago, we didn't really give much credence to the gut biome, but how has our understanding of the gut biome influenced your work on understanding nutrition? Sure. I mean, I, I've, I've studied the gut biome a little bit in, uh, in, in work that's not directly relevant to human nutrition, enough to know that this is one of those subjects where we don't know enough yet, right? So similarly, if you're talking to anybody that is a researcher in gut microbiology, they're going to tell you, like, we know about 1% of the picture, you know, and and I do know that although your gut biome is going to be vastly different from person to person, it's more similar to anybody living in your household than anybody else. Why? Because nutrition has a huge impact on what our gut microbiome looks like, um, as well as those that we interact with on a day to day basis. So gut biome diversity is hugely important. That's one thing they've shown is that having a diverse, you know, grouping of microflora in your gut is correlated with positive health. Um, That diversity is impacted by the wide range of foods, fruits and vegetables that we eat. And when you see people go on diets, you know, I'm going to use the fad, you know, carnivore diet. What we see changing is we see a huge change in their microflora as we pull away fruits and vegetables, as we pull away high fiber diets. Um, so microflora is definitely important for health. You know, there, there are connections with immune health. There are connections with other nutrients that we don't, don't get directly at food, but we rely on microflora to produce as a, as almost as a byproduct of the food that we eat. Um, but what we do know is that keeping that diversity high by eating lots of fruits and vegetables is really important. And, um, anything that like would, cause or call on you to cut that out 
could have a negative impact on things like immune health, things, things like nutrients that we rely on our microflora for. So I don't know a ton, but I do know that that's important, um, including lots of fermented foods in your diet. Um, so things like, uh, obviously, yogurt, things like um, kimchi, if you like it, things like real sauerkraut, if you like it, kombucha, trying to get that in your diet regularly and making sure that you you know, eat the rainbow, eat lots of different fruits and vegetables. Those are two basic things we can do um, to ensure that our microfloral diversity is high. Well, it's interesting because I've known, and, and we, I mean, listeners out there are probably familiar with the idea that we should try to stay away from a lot of the packaged and food, you know, a lot of the packaged and processed food products as possible because it does, anytime you manipulate the chemistry of the food to make it more shelf stable, it does change how it interacts with the body. So when you look at a diet in your recommendation, because I really do not like to give people specific diet advice, but with your background and your knowledge, Shannon, where should somebody go for, if somebody goes, I really want to clean up my diet, I need somebody to help me, who is the best resource or what type of professional is the best resource to help a listener identify the best diet for their needs? So I think that RDN certification that you talked about uh, at the beginning, looking for a registered dietitian who has not just a lot of schooling in biochemistry, in nutrition, but also has schooling in almost, you know, I almost see it as therapy or because to get someone to change their diet, to get someone to figure out um, how to create healthy habits around food, it's almost like therapy, right? You need to dive into someone's lifestyle and see what hurdles might be presenting. Is everyone in their house supportive? Like where are, um, you know, where is snacking occurring? What kind of snacks are we eating? Like where are the extra calories coming from? You really need to not just give people recommendations, but also help teach them how to incorporate those recommendations in a way that's going to lead to long-term lasting habits, right? Everyone goes on diets, loses weight, and then gains the weight right back. And that's because we're not looking at habit forming. We're not looking at building healthy relationships with food long-term. So seeking out someone that's a registered dietitian that gets schooling, not just in the nutrition and the biochemistry, but also how to actually help people institute, you know, um, good nutrition into their lives, I think is, is critical. And, and that's, I'd love that answer because the reason why I ask that is I want to make the point and, and, and I'd love to hear your, your, your thought on this, but my, my preference for anybody, any type of recommendation is to steer people towards a whole food diet, one that's catered to their specific needs. Now, with that in mind, if I'm, if I'm eating a diet, if I'm eating, if I'm eating my macronutrients, if I'm getting what I need, what role do supplements play in that type of diet? And in general, what role should supplements play in, in a healthy diet? Yeah, I love this question because they're supplemental, right? Supplements should be supplemental. I think if we can get all of the nutrients we need, not just as a healthy individual, but as an athlete from whole foods, then more power to you. The problem is that often lifestyle gets in the way. We run out of time, you know, gets in the way of our best nutritional intentions. So even though we know I should be getting in X amount of protein, I should be getting in you know, protein at every meal, every three to four hours, I should have vegetables, you know, eat a large, you know, diversity of vegetables, try to get them in at every meal. We might know those things, but when it comes down to 
doing them because of full-time jobs, because of kids, because of running to work out. Sometimes we don't have the time to really make that a reality in our lives. And I think that's where supplements become a great option, right? It's almost like a shortcut when you don't have the time to do what you know that you need to do. Um, And finding a supplement company that is, you know, transparent with what's in their products, is forthcoming about the science, doesn't make outrageous claims. I think that's always a good litmus test. Like if you're if you're buying supplements from a company that is making some kind of crazy claim about what they're going to fix in your life, that's likely a good sign that that supplement company is not forthcoming. Um, and finding uh, you know products that align with what you're looking for in terms of ingredients and taste um, and and product testing, I think that's the most important part. And that's key, right? And one of the things I'll say about supplements, because it's funny, when I was personal training full time, I was not a huge fan of supplements. And I really try to, to get my clients to really just be be smart about nutrition, be smart about making the right choices. And my advice was always to try to be a good B student, right? Because if you're a good B, B student, then you're eating what you should be eating 85, 90% of the time. That, you know, that, that was always my advice was don't worry about trying to be perfect. Just aim for eating the right stuff 85, 90% of the time. And 10, 15% of the time, just enjoy your food, enjoy what you're going to eat. Do you yeah. ever make any recommendations? And what are the type of recommendations that you, like the general recommendations that you make around nutrition? Yeah, I mean, it usually starts with, uh, they're just basic. So hydrate regularly, make sure that you're drinking lots of water or fluids throughout the day. That's not just important for hydration status. It's important for how our body moves. It's important for musculoskeletal health. Um Secondarily, I've already said this 5 million times um, as we've been talking, but eat the rainbow. Try to include lots of fruits and vegetables um, in all aspects of what you're eating. Um, Thirdly, try to get lean proteins in there on a regular basis. That's really important for recovery. Um, It's really important for realizing, you know, the the, um, results of all the hard training we're doing. It becomes critically important for aging athletes where keeping on muscle mass is is kind of an uphill battle. Um, So trying to get in good protein regularly is, is I think, key. Um, And then lastly, making sure that the fats you're getting in your diet are from good whole food sources. So, um, you know, like avocados, fatty fish, nuts, seeds, those are all great places to get fats. We're getting primarily polyunsaturated fats when we do that. Um, And you're getting a reasonable amount of fat as you add those into your diet, as opposed to, to um, adding more processed fats um, on top of what we're already eating. Those are kind of my four basics. And I think if you can follow those, you've got a pretty good, good footing on, on good nutrition. Now listeners can't see this, but I'm doing the Snoopy happy dance right now because (laughs) you just use validated. But, but the reason why I say that Shannon is, is I turned 50 this year. And last year I wrote a book called ageless intensity on how high intensity exercise slows down aging. And so I really have been going down deep down the hole in terms of understanding how high-intensity exercise, the benefits of high-intensity exercise mitigate many of the effects of the aging process. But my next book coming out from Human Kinetics is on the science of recovery. And really, because those two would go hand in hand, right? Because aging really ties in. And what happens to us, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, let's go back to aging and look at aging athletes. But but first, before I do that, but I'm going to come back to that athlete conversation. I want to make this point right now. 
where are you located? Where 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 is Northern Nutrition located, and, and where are you located, Shannon? Yeah, sure. Um, we're in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that's that's where I am as well. And what and what brought you to Salt Lake City? I know you did your undergrad and your PhD work there, but what drew you to the Salt Lake area originally? Yeah, so the mountains. I came um, I came out skiing with my dad when I was in high school, and I literally remember being amazed that. Um, the I mean, I grew up on the East Coast uh, outside of D.C. And, and so I'd been in the Blue Ridge Mountains um, back there, back home. But I had never seen mountains as large as the ones we have in Salt Lake so close to the city central. And it was mind blowing to me, both, you know, just in terms of like being astounded by the beauty, but also like, wait, I can be on a trail mountain biking or trail running after work and only commute 10 minutes. Like it made that mountain lifestyle so accessible. We have like seven ski resorts within 30 to 40 minutes. It just makes what a lot of folks end up doing, especially where I'm from on the East coast, what you end up doing for vacation, more of something that you end up doing every day. Um, and, and that's really what I, what I wanted, uh, for my life. So I moved okay. here. And and for listeners, this is the point where I now become a big fan of Shannon. What part of I'm from the DC area as well. I grew oh. up in Silver Spring. What part are you from? Fairfax County. Oh, uh, Northern Virginia. Never mind. Sure. We, can, we can end that conversation there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I lived in Ellicott City, Maryland, for a little bit as well. Um, okay. Yeah, hey, but, but 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 the reason why I say that for listeners, for the reason why I say that for people that are from the Virginia, Northern Virginia, DC area, if you're in Maryland, you don't go south. You do not cross the river south. And even though you could be in Arlington, do, how often do you? If you're in if you're in Falls Church or Fairfax County, how often do you go into Maryland? Uh not that much. A, a bit, but not bit. too much. Yeah. <laughs> but that's where you grew up. You grew up in the DC area. I did. Yeah. Um. Just right a little town called Burke right okay. in Fairfax County um spent you know my dad always we li- we spent a little time in Europe we lived in Austria for 5 years and he discovered kind of his love of the outdoors there and so he made an effort to expose me to it as a kid um so we hiked a lot we skied you know we we did some trail running together um, so I really credit him with kind of building that desire in me. Um, but it also meant that we got to see a lot of cool places um, in that Northern Virginia, D.C. area um, that you wouldn't know you existed, it, that you wouldn't know existed if you just thought of it as a busy metropolis. Well, and, and on that note, and then we'll get back to we'll get back to gnarly. But I, I basically grew up on the on the Billy Goat Trail on the Maryland side of the Billy Goat Trail on the Potomac. And for listeners, I that's love this. But that's great fall. But that we used to fall. do that every weekend. That was like my like growing up. My dad and I like every Sunday we would do the Billy Goat Trail, and then we'd go to this little coffee shop and get breakfast there. That that's amazing that you know that trail but but then i but then as an adult i lived in dc i lived right by the zoo in adams morgan and i I went trail running through during the spring and summer and fall i'd go trail running through rock creek to maybe one or two times a week and i realized i was thinking about this the other day because where i live now shannon i'm in carlsbad i'm about a mile from a whole trail network so one or two times a week or probably two or three times a week for my quote-unquote cardio either mountain bike or go hiking on that trail network and I thought about it when I lived in downtown San Diego. We lived right by Balboa Park. And one or two times a week, I go for a trail run through Balboa Park. The arthritis in my knee doesn't really let me do as much trail running anymore because the down, the, the, the coming downhill at a pace really just kills, kills my knee. 
But it occurred to me that almost everywhere I've lived, I've always had an outdoor workout area. And that's one of the things that really, when, when, I, when I first was approached about Gnarly, about this, this collaboration for running the ads on the podcast, one of the things I really liked about Gnarly was that you guys really focus on outdoor sports. And what is it about outdoor sports or let's call them endurance athletes or, or I guess extreme athletes? What is it about their needs? What about their needs? It's different because, and where I'm going with this, we kind of mentioned this earlier, because most supplement companies are designed for adding muscle for bodybuilding. And, and yes, that's important, but that's not my primary goal. So how does the fact that, that Gnarly is based in Salt Lake City and you have, you're the chief product officer, you're the, probably the chief researcher, the chief scientist, how does the outdoor, how does the outdoor influence uh, how does the outdoor activities and, and the endurance athletes, how does that influence Nolly's approach to nutrition? Sure. Yeah. I think it's a great question. I mean, I think at the very beginning when Gnarly started, um, we saw that not a lot of people were talking to mountain athletes, whether it's endurance athletes or folks that just like get it, you know, getting out uh, for a weekend hike, really emphasizing what they needed to perform and recover so that, um, you know, they could either meet a specific goal related to what they're doing or just feel good um, after a, a long day out in the hills. Um, it, it was either specifically talking about fueling, you know, when you look at endurance sports and what you would take in workout, um, that was really where the focus was. Or as you said, um, it was really looking at bodybuilding and how to put on mass. Um, but there's a lot of pretty, uh, you know, science-backed nutritional supplements that cross over between those two spaces. And so our goal was to take a lot of the nutrition science that's out there that we felt could benefit endurance athletes, mountain athletes, and um, start talking to them about that beyond just the fueling for what they're trying to do, but looking at what could help pre-workout, looking at, at what could help post-workout for recovery, looking at baseline nutrition that could be helpful. So, you know, things like vitamin D, things like iron and B12, which are really important for plant-based athletes. So looking at athletes, kind of the whole picture and seeing where the holes were and starting to educate them about what in the supplement industry might be useful in that space. And was anybody before Gnarly came along, was anybody uh, specifically addressing this type of mountain athlete or outdoor adventure athlete? I mean, you'd have it here and there. There are definitely um, more companies focused specifically on fueling. So you have your Scratch Labs, your Tailwind, and they've come out with more products now based on recovery since then. But both of those com companies were um, focused on hydration and getting calories in, which are important things, 100%. But there's more to fueling an athlete and making sure that they recover well than those two um, than those two topics and the products that would come out from them. So um, kind of bringing to athletes not just those fueling and hydration products, but also you know products like creatine, which is more than about putting on muscle mass. It also has implications for hydration status. It has implications for brain health. It has implications. Um, for buffering acid production in the muscles, you know, all of those things could have an impact um, for not just strength athletes, but for uh, endurance athletes as well. So there are a number of examples, collagen, you know, which can help. There's studies showing that um, collagen supplementation can help with pain in arthritic joints, um, also in not in pain with from non-arthritic joints. Those can be helpful for folks that 
maybe don't think they can trail run anymore because of knee pain, you know, so collagen supplementation could be helpful there. So talking to athletes about supplements that just go beyond the infueling and, and really trying to educate them on the science that shows um, they could be helped by these things. Well, let's talk about collagen for a second, because for listeners, I'm holding up my coffee mug and a friend of mine who's a uh, an RDN and somebody I trust, Francis Largeman Roth, who's been on the show before, um, she recommended at some point, she said that she puts collagen in her coffee and she's really smart. So I kind of, I just, rather than looking around and asking questions, I, I started putting collagen in my coffee as well. What is it about collagen as a supplement? I mean, you mentioned that it can help with, I know it helps, collagen can help rebuild connective tissue. It's a very important component of like like fascia, ligaments, and muscle tissue. But what role, as collagen as a supplement, how does that support our our training needs? Yeah, so, um, you know, collagen is the structural or is protein that is in used in uh, structural tissues, musculoskeletal tissues, like you talked about, tendons and ligaments, um, to a greater amount than any other protein. Um, it There are a million different types of collagen, and often with marketing claims with collagen sold by supplement companies, you'll see claims around these types, and we can talk about whether or not that's accurate in a minute. But what the research basically shows is that by supplementing with collagen, it stimulates the synthesis of new collagen in those tissues. And this becomes critically important, once again, for us aging athletes, um, where we see a drop in um natural collagen production as we age. And then also in athletes doing um, sports that are particularly hard on our musculoskeletal tissues. Um, And that's whether you're injured or not, right? So an injury to a tissue is like an extreme example, but any kind of training that's hard on those musculoskeletal tissues is going to do some damage or slowly break down those tissues over time. And so introducing something that would stimulate that collagen synthesis is going to help offset that. And that's pretty hard to show as far as scientific studies go. Um, And so I like to be upfront about where that science is. Um, There's a lot of really good research showing that in biomechanical models of um, ligament tissue and, and tendon, that's call introducing collagen into that um, model can help stimulate collagen synthesis. And there's also a lot of really good research showing that collagen supplementation in conjunction with like a rehab program can be part of a good um, like come back to store to sport program. Um, the most convincing research I kind of already alluded to is that in folks with osteoarthritis, collagen supplementation can reduce the pain in those arthritic joints. There's also research showing in athletes with non-arthritic pain. So maybe you don't have arthritis, but your shoulder really hurts from climbing too much or your knees really hurt from running too much. That collagen supplementation can also help reduce um, pain in those joints. And so you have to think like, Well, what's that mechanism? Well, it's likely because it's stimulating collagen synthesis and offsetting maybe some collagen degradation that you had from either the arthritis or from uh, just using those joints too much. Um, So it's a really interesting, you know, space to study and to learn about. I think a lot of people use collagen the wrong way. So using it in your coffee is totally fine. Um, But I always like to emphasize that if you're trying to benefit a particular joint, like, Let's talk about your knee. 
Um, do you, you know, have pain in your knee? It prevents you from doing certain things. If you want collagen to benefit your knee, a lot of the science really recommends that you're taking it 45 minutes to an hour before you're doing some kind of rehab, some kind of use of that knee joint, some kind of stretching, right? Because you're almost using the increased blood flow to that joint as a transport mechanism for those peptides and amino acids. So it's not that collagen's not helping you in your coffee when you're just sitting down having breakfast, but there's nothing telling it to go to your knee as opposed to to help rebuild your hair or give you beautiful nails or to go to your shoulder, right? So by using it before you use that joint that's bothering you, you're giving you're giving that joint a little more love. That increased blood flow is going to help pull the peptides and amino acids where they need to go. And I love that because one of my favorite words, Shannon, is mechanotransduction. And and listeners, mechanotransduction literally means mechanical stimulus creates chemical change in the body. So that really is so what what because that's what you're talking about in essence is mechanotransduction is when we put a mechanical force, then what it's going to do is stimulate the satellite cells to either and satellite cells can either become connective tissue or they can become muscle tissue. And that's where collagen comes in is the satellite cells can become the fibroblasts that become collagen. And that's about as much as I understand about that in terms of the mechanical structure. And that's looking at the mechanics of it, not necessarily the, the chemistry of it. And I do feel that that doing that. So anytime I exercise, I know I'm putting mechanical stress on like the ligaments and the and the menisci and the joint capsules of my knee. And then I, I like if I drink and I tend, tend most often exercise in the morning. So that way, if I drink my coffee before or after I exercise, there's at least that. And so that's how kind of how I structure it. Now, the next thing I want to point out is, yes, I'm 50. And now at my age, I'm really trying to add, I'm not necessarily trying to add muscle mass, but I don't want to lose muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And I know that we need about a gram. Is it about a gram per pound? Because usually I think metric. I, I speak a lot internationally. And so when I go international, I got to speak metric. And I think it's one per two, one gram, what's that? 2.2 grams per kilo of body mass would be the equivalent to one pound per. So it's, uh, so it's about one gram, one gram per, per pound. pound, correct? Yep. So then for listeners, I try to get about two, I'm about 200 pounds. So I, my goal is to try to get 200 grams of protein a day. And what would that look like, Shannon, in a general diet, what would 200 grams, and it might be a few years since you had the total RDN hat on, but in general, what would 200 grams of protein a day look like? Um, in terms of like serving size of food, in terms of serving, like how many servings of meat would I need? Of, of <laughs> yeah. Liquid? Right. So, um, I always, lo I love the kind of using your hand as a, as a, um, tool to determine serving size. So typically the palm of your hand, um, for meat is about 25 to 30 grams of protein, you know, so four of those four, four servings of meat or, um, or even seafood would get you, um, towards a hundred grams. So if we're looking at 200 grams, you know, that would be eight servings. So it's pretty substantial. That would be one of the places where, um, similarly, I'm, I'm not quite up to a, a gram per pound of body weight or 2.2 grams per kilo, but I'm trying to be. And, Consuming that, I, I do consume meat in my diet regularly, but consuming that much meat or even half that much meat is difficult, right? And that's where protein supplements, you know, we were just talking about where supplements come in and where they make sense. That would be a place that makes sense, right? If, if you know, eating that much meat seems like something you can't do, for some people, they're like, yeah, let's let's put it at every meal. But 
if because of either time or just the desire, that's not something you can do, that's where a protein supplement is helpful. I also always tell aging athletes, you know, I'm 44, pretty much 40 and up, like, and even younger, but specific to maintaining muscle mass, like that's where creatine supplementation is really something that can be helpful as well. And just, just for listeners, this is the second PhD now I've spoken with in about three weeks who's recommending creatine supplementation for over 40, over 40, over 45 age athletes. And I haven't added it into my, into my uh, protocol yet, but it is going to be the next, the next one I pick up because it is consistently just from what I've heard, the second one. Now let's talk a little bit about what, what product does, does gnarly offer that has creatine built into it or has creatine as a component of it? Yeah. So we just have gnarly creatine. We have a, um, we use Creapure, which is one of the, it's a branded ingredient out of Germany. It's one of the kind of most tested creatines out there. It's just a creatine monohydrate, but it's actually used in a lot of the creatine studies. Um, Creatine has been studied for uh, decades and it it probably has the safest safest, um, track record of any supplement, sports supplement that you can take for a long time. Folks either thought it was a steroid, which it definitely is not, or they thought that it could cause kidney damage. So I, I always like to kind of start by saying creatine is safe and then also start by like breaking this idea that only bodybuilders use creatine, right? I'm a 44-year-old mom of two. I'm an endurance runner. I'm a climber. I'm a competitive jujitsu athlete. Um, you know, these are things that I love to do. I weigh 130 pounds. Like I'm not huge, but I've been supplementing with creatine for almost a year and um, it's helped me build muscle mass uh, where I need it, where it makes sense for the sports that I do. Um, and also, you know, I think it has impacts beyond just building and maintaining muscle mass that people don't realize. Um, and, you know, we can talk about some of those and maybe your previous guest did, but it's really an interesting subject and more and more research is coming out showing how important it can be for athletes of all ages. And that, and that, you know, and that's the thing. I really like the fact that you come back to kind of an older athlete because a lot of us who, a lot of us who are now in our forties and fifties, I mean, let's face it, we're Gen Xers. If I go to a skate park at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning here in San Diego, everybody's going to have gray hair. I mean, you might have a few grommets there, but you're going to see guys in their 40s, 50s, and even 60s either on their bikes or on their skateboards ripping it up. And it really is. It becomes a huge I, – I feel that if we, as we get older, supplements become key. And another thing I like besides, besides protein, and I want to come back to protein in a second, are BCAAs, the branched-chain amino acids. And again, this is from talking – Selfishly, one of the reasons why I like doing the podcast is it helps me figure out what I need to do for my own fitness program. And I just decided to share it with the listeners. But yep. but I've been I've been getting I've been using BCAAs this year to really try to sustain and help grow muscle as, as I turn 50. What role or what do BCAAs, the branch chain amino acids, do and how should they be used as a supplement? Yeah, sure. Um just to give folks a little background. Um so you know, proteins at, in their most basic form are a string of amino acids, um, and proteins differ in terms of the amount of, of particular amino acids and, and also the assortment of amino acids that you're going to find. So what's in collagen protein is different than in, in whey protein. Um, and so as athletes, as individuals, we're looking for proteins that are high in essential amino acids, um, 
So there are two main group groupings, essential and non-essential. Essential amino acids are ones we have to get from our diet because our bodies can't make them. And then there's a subgrouping of those essential amino acids called branched chain amino acids. And that's what we're talking about specifically. So branched chain amino acids are what actually turn on the machinery for muscle protein synthesis, which is important for building muscle, but it's also important for uh, muscle recovery. There are studies showing that having BCAAs in your system as you're exercising, reduce muscle protein damage and actually help with the soreness that we feel after exercise. So they can really have an impact on how we recover. Um, so I never recommend anyone replaces whole qu good quality whole protein in their diet with BCAAs, but I think they can be amazing if you add them in together. And we really recommend sandwiching your training between BCAAs if you haven't had protein recently. Um, or if you're a plant-based athlete and maybe the protein that you're consuming is a little bit lower in BCAAs, which, which it is. Um, so sandwiching your training between BCAAs and then following your training afterwards with a good whole protein, maybe like whey protein, or if you're plant-based, like a pea protein isolate or a soy protein that has essential amino acids and branched chain amino acids inherently. Because your body needs not just BCAAs to turn on the machinery for muscle protein synthesis, but it really needs all of the essential amino acids to build that muscle. So having the BCAAs beforehand helps with that recovery aspect. Having the whole protein after really gives your body what it needs to build new muscle. And it, see, I love that because that has been, I shared with you before we hit record, I started a job about a year ago where I'm a director of education for a, a large health club chain. And at 50 years old, I'm walking into these gyms, Shannon, with between 15 and 25 or 30 personal trainers, all of whom are in their early to mid 20s. I mean, there are always there's always there's some personal trainers a little bit older, but I'm walking into rooms of relatively young personal trainers. And I can remember 20 years ago when I was a relatively young personal trainer myself, and somebody from the corporate office would come in, and anytime they had a little bit of extra fluff around the midsection, you kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, why am I listening to this guy? They don't know what they're talking about. So for listeners, where I'm going with that is this year, I've really, I, I ended I ended 2021 at about 218 pounds. I definitely had a little extra fluff because I wasn't doing a lot of public speaking. I wasn't like in front of a lot of people. So this year I've really been on, I've cut about 20 pounds. I've really changed my BMI. I've really changed my body fat. I took some before pictures in January and I got about four more weeks before I'm going to take my after pictures and, and post them and do a little blog post on them. So I've really been hyper-focused this year on increasing protein, on reducing unnecessary carbohydrate. Yeah. And that's really where I've gotten into the protein supplementation. So from your understanding, when is the best time to supplement protein? Because I know I use it relatively, I either use it during the day if I'm fasting and not eating until later in the evening. And, and I don't. we don't need to go down the rabbit hole of IF right now. But if I'm fasting... I'll use protein or BCAs during the day to keep protein levels up. But really, when should we use protein in relation to our training program and when we do a hard workout? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to expand that question because I think it's also important to look to look at when we use protein throughout the day, because um, often people think about just how what they're eating around their workout impacts their workout. But protein is one of those um, places where also how we consume it throughout the day can impact how we recover from training. Um, there's a, a really interesting study, I think in 2013, that looked at protein distribution throughout the day and how it affected muscle protein synthesis. So I'd say that the, the 
participants that used in the study were on a moderate amount of, of protein, um, just 1.5 grams per kilo. And so it equated to 80 grams a day. And they looked at one group that ate it, you know, in two 40 gram meals, one group that had it in four 20 gram meals, and one group that had 10 uh, or eight 10 gram servings. So they all had the same amount of protein. But then they looked at who had the highest muscle protein synthesis. And they really showed it was that middle group that ate protein regularly throughout the day. And I think that's key, is making sure you're getting protein as opposed to a skewed distribution. You're getting it at every meal and then making sure that you're getting it post-workout to really help your body recover and functionally adapt to to the training stimulus you just gave it. That would be the two things, those would be the two things I would really emphasize as far as protein intake. Yeah, I'm doing my happy dance again because that's, I mean, it's based on what I read, but that's, that's, a, that's again, why I'll do, if I'm doing a heavy training day, I'll do a protein drink during the day to make sure my protein stays up before I eat. But if I'm doing a light training day, then I just go with BCAA. So I kind of alternate a little bit depending on that. Now with that, I have two more questions before we get ready to wrap up. One is one of the things also about gnarly products is they're NSF certified. Why, what is NSF certified and, and why is that so important to consider for supplement use? Yeah, great question. So um, I think for a long time, you know, I'd already said, like, if you if you encounter a supplement company that's making outlandish claims like that should be a sign that maybe they don't make the great greatest supplements, because um, really, you know, the claims that supplements companies can can make are pretty basic about what their products can do. NSF looks at products in, for safety. They evaluate your all NSF certified products are evaluated by a team of toxicologists to make sure that what's in the product is safe. Um, they're tested for label claims. So if you're looking at uh, the back of a of a supplement, you see the supplement facts, and it says that there's. 20 grams of protein or 2,000 IUs of vitamin D, those products are actually tested to make sure that those those claims are true. And um, they're also tested for contaminants, so heavy metals, microbes, and a full pesticide panel. On top of that, um, gnarly products are NSF for sports certified, which means that all of the banned substances on the World Anti-Doping Agency banned substances list. So when you see an athlete that is banned from sport because they tested positive for X, Y, and Z, right? Um, gnarly products are tested for all of those. So one, it's a check mark for pro athletes um, that want to use supplements but don't want to take something that's contaminated. And two, it's a check mark for regular folks like us that also don't want to take products that have those banned substances in them. So, you know, while supplements are regulated, there are a lot of companies that fly under the radar and don't don't do things that are are great in terms of product quality and maybe their products have contaminants in them. So finding products that are third-party certified by groups like NSF or another one is USP or Informed Choice, right? This is something that consumers can trust and know that their, you know, their products have been tested, the products are efficacious, and they're clean. And, and that's so important. And, and, you know, I'm not super Mr. Clean Eating, but the older I get, it comes back to that conversation with chemistry, is the older I get, I, under, I understand the importance of trying to mitigate or reduce as many outside contaminants as possible in the diet. You can't eliminate them all unless you live somewhere in the middle of the country and you grow all your own food and you know you're totally off the grid. But that's a whole nother, I think that's a whole nother podcast. I think that's a whole nother discussion. Now to wrap this up, because I really respect your time, one of the things that's that's kind of cool about what Gnarly does is they use something called the Gnarly system. What is the Gnarly system and how that can that help how can that help someone like me or a listener out there identify the best supplements for their needs? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion about when to use supplements. Like we just talked about BCAAs. For a long time, folks recommended taking it post-workout, whereas we really recommend taking it pre-workout and following up with protein afterwards. So the Gnarly system classifies Gnarly products into use categories that tells you when we recommend you you take them. So there's a pre-workout category, obviously products you take before you work out. Um, there's a, a during or in-workout category, um, products that you take while you're exercising. So those are our hydration and fueling products. There's a post-workout category, things we recommend you take post-workout because they're going to help with recovery. Um, and then there's an everyday category. So things that make sense to take on a daily basis or in, in something like creatine, right? Where um, while timing might matter, what's really more important is consistent use. And so creatine, for instance, is in our everyday category for that for that reason. That's important because what I've been doing with, with the gnarly products is I've been doing obviously the pre-workout, um, been doing the hydrate or the BCAAs during the workout. Again, depending on what I'm doing, I yeah. use hydrate if I'm mountain biking longer and it's a little bit warmer. I throw that in my water bottle before I head out. And then for recovery, again, it depends somewhat on the intensity of the day, but I'll either use the BCAAs or the vegan protein as part of the recovery process. And that just is is doing is kind of going through what I know. And what I really like, Shannon, what I'm finding I'm really liking is the performance greens. I'll have the performance greens, um, you know, as a little way to get extra vitamins. What about the, what is it about performance greens? What what is that product, and what are the benefits of it? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about it. I think it's the product that we make that people are most excited about. Um, it is a greens based product, so um, it has a lot of micronutrient rich whole foods, things like chlorella and spirulina that naturally have a lot of vitamins in it. So because of that collection of micronutrient rich foods, it has kind of the full spectrums of, of full spectrum of vitamin and minerals you're looking for. So many people take a multivitamin as a, a tablet or a capsule. This could be you know a powder based whole food replacement for that. And then on top of that, it has um, ingredients that have implications for um, performance and uh, and recovery um, for athletes. So things like um, efficacious doses of turmeric. Turmeric's been shown to be helpful with inflammation. Um, it has cordyceps, a mushroom that's been shown to help with the oxygen-carrying capacity of our blood. Reishi, that has implications for immune health. has beetroot, pomegranate, and tart cherry, which... All are high in dietary nitrates, um, which are, are vasodilators, so they increase the diameter of our blood flow, or excuse me, of our blood vessels, which help with increased blood flow. You know, and that helps get oxygen to our muscles and also helps pull or, pull away waste products. It has probiotics in it, so it's kind of like an all-in-one. Um, a lot of folks like you know having it on its own, but it's a great thing also to like supercharge a um, a smoothie or you know, a protein smoothie post-workout, or if you're just trying to increase your protein throughout the day, then you're also getting in vitamins and minerals and all of those, those ingredients that are going to help you recover well. The one of the things I like about the performance greens is I don't know if it's the greens or the coffee, but it does keep the system, um, let's just say regulated. And that, <laughs> but, but that is so important. And I don't, and this, I'm not trying to take this into, into, I mean, literal potty humor, but when we look at, when we talk about nutrition and when we talk about intake all the time, but we very rarely discuss the opposite of intake, which is output, right? And, and, and having the correct, having the correct bowel movements and having the correct, yep. I mean, it comes back. We kind of started, I started with a question about, about the gut. But what I like about the greens is I feel, 
I can feel like it's helping my gut. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if that's being in tune with my body or what, but I definitely feel just a little bit more. I feel lighter and I feel a little bit more balanced. And that's just, that's just giving you that feedback of just playing around and, and using it for a little while. And the other yeah, thing that's I, great to hear. No, but the other thing I like, Shannon, is, is listeners know I don't drink. I haven't had a drink of alcohol in a number of years. And, and between, between the exercise, between taking the healthy supplements and everything, people are often surprised when they, when I tell them how old I actually am and I tell them I'm 50 years old. So I'm saying that for listeners that if you use a product, I, I can't guarantee, I never make any guarantees, but if you start using a product like Gnarly, if you start using various products and you maintain your exercise, I think we can. I mean, do you feel comfortable, Shannon, saying that your, your products used correctly? could help support or help mitigate many of the effects of aging. Would that be an accurate statement? You can't guarantee any results, but using gnarly supplements could help help us age a little bit more efficiently. Totally. I mean, I think one of the things that dictates how we age is the ability to keep up movement, to um, keep using our bodies, right? Because it keeps muscle mass on, it keeps, you know, our mobility going. It's it's when you see movement decrease that you start seeing people get weaker, bones get weaker, um, people are more likely to fall, the, you know, the less they move, and that's where fractures come into play. And so if you're using supplements that are going to help support that movement, where whether it's collagen to help with joints that are painful, or protein and creatine to help with muscle mass, or greens to make sure you're getting in your, you know, multivitamins or hydrate to make sure you're hydrated throughout the day. All of those go things are going to support, you know, keeping us moving, keeping us do doing what we love to do in terms of athletics and sport. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think it's part of the equation for sure. All right. No, I love that. And Shin, anything else that we should know about gnarly nutrition and, and gnarly products? Um, I think you covered all of it. I mean, I, I, if you guys have questions, you can go to gonarly.com. There's tons of great blogs on everything from nutrition, you know, nutrition for the aging athlete, nutrition specific to female athletes and how hormones come into play. Um, there's product specific information. And then folks are always welcome to email me at Shannon at gonarly.com. And I love working with customers and athletes on nutrition. It's one of my favorite, favorite parts of my job. Well, Shannon, I really appreciate your time. You're, you're the chief product officer of Gnarly Nutrition. And anytime I, I hook up with a sponsor, and it's especially a sponsor around nutrition and, and supplements like this, I really like to talk to somebody who can kind of help us walk through the science. Because for listeners, I don't want to have a product. I'm not going to market or advertise a product I don't use or I don't believe in. So I really appreciate your taking the time to kind of walk us through your product line, why, what, what it benefits, what the benefits are and why we should be using it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks having me for for having me on. The conversation's been super fun, um, and it's great to talk to someone who has a lot of similarities, both in terms of where we are in life, the athletics we like to do, and and the importance of nutrition in supporting all of it. Uh, that was always, as always. I don't know why I always say it's a fun conversation, <laughs> mainly because that's a fun conversation. Hey, that today's episode or this episode was about nutrition. And specifically about supplements and the role that supplements play in your nutrition program. If you want to learn more about exercise, you can pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts. Smarter Workouts will teach you how to design workout programs to enhance your quality of life. If you want to learn more about how exercise can slow down the aging process, and it can, you can pick up a copy of Ageless Intensity, or you can pick up a copy of Exercise, uh, exercise Slow Down the Aging Process. I think, oh my goodness, I don't even have it right in front of me. I think it is my other book now. I have... Ageless Intensity, but I also have 
exercise for the fountain of youth. So functional core training, dynamic anatomy, and exercise for the fountain of youth are three ebooks I've written. They're available down below in the show notes. Ages intensity, smarter workouts are available. Hey, look, I as I said in the beginning, I really have changed my approach to nutrition and supplements. I am a big, big fan of supplements. I take protein on an almost daily basis. I take amino acids. I'm getting ready to add creatine back into my strength training program. And the my goal is, in my 50s, I'm trying to maintain my mass. One thing to share with you, uh, with the audience, is I think last year at my high point, 220 in, uh, in no, sorry, it was uh, 2021. 2021, I was at my highest weight ever, my heaviest weight ever, at about 220 pounds. Right now, I'm running about 191, 192 pounds. So I'm down 30 pounds in the last... Yeah, about a year and a half. And I'm maintaining, I'm adding muscle mass by using supplements. So I've changed my nutrition a little bit, changed my exercise a lot a bit, just doing things differently. I'm running about 100, 190, trying to keep 195 pounds. And supplements are playing a big role in that. Not only the supplements uh, that I get from my nutrition, but the supplements I get from work. I work for EOS Fitness. We sell our own proprietary blend of supplements that really I've, I've been using as well as another nutrition and I've been pleased with their performance. So no matter what your thought process is, if you haven't been taking supplements, they are something to consider. Make sure you buy, no matter what you decide to take, make sure you buy good, high-quality supplements. It's not something to save money on, and I mean that. You, no matter where you're going to go for your supplements, you get what you pay for. Nothing wrong with paying a couple extra bucks to make sure you get the highest quality. Hey, with that, reach out to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, All About Fitness Podcast. And as always, thanks for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.